and breathe. Welcome to Calm Club with Anxiety UK. I'm delighted today to be joined um, by a gentleman called David Craig, who's who's joining us actually from um, San Antonio in Texas. David is one of the authors of a paper that looked at um, uh, healing to helping to to heal or healing to help. Um, or help, helping to heal, wasn't it, David? I think, and uh, I'm getting a bit tongue twisted already. But I'm actually delighted, David joined us. David did this piece of work. The paper that he he worked on was whilst he was he's a clinical psychologist and was studying at Ohio State University. Um, I say has now moved on from 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 that uh, from that piece of work and is working for the Department of Veteran Affairs down in San Antonio in Texas. So reaching out across the globe to to bring you uh, insights into what we can do to help us manage our anxiety from all over the world so david absolutely delighted you could join us today and thank you for for giving us some your time so early in the morning over there in texas thank you so much david yeah it's a real pleasure to be here uh like i said before i've had fond memories of my time in the uk when i lived in edinburgh so it's a it's an honor to be here yes i remember you mentioning that to us before and and, and right. Edinburgh's a lovely city but uh probably not as warm as san antonio Right, right, yeah, nice and sunny here. <laughs> yeah, great. Well, I'm glad you could join us to say I know it's it's very early in the morning there, so thank you for giving up your time. So just start, tell us a bit more about your work. It sounds fascinating. I know I've I've talked to you before, but I'm sure our, our listeners would really like to hear more about the work and, and, and you know, how your insights in the paper that you produced can help them think about how they can what they can do to help them manage manage their anxiety better. Absolutely. So uh I'll say the the Background or the, the driving force behind the study was really some uh, previous literature showing that social connection is one of the most important, if not the most important ingredients to have for flourishing in life, for mental well-being from a variety of uh, measures. And yet our existing techniques, such as techniques uh, drawn from cognitive behavioral therapy, seem to not do quite as effective a job at improving social connection um, as they are for reducing anxiety symptoms, let's say. And so that got me to thinking about maybe an alternative technique we could try that might tap into social connection more effectively. And that's when my advisor, Jennifer Chevins, and I uh, came up with this idea to do a study on acts of kindness. So we took folks who are reporting high levels of depression and anxiety symptoms and we randomly assigned them to do acts of kindness or to do one of two techniques drawn from cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, one was just essentially planning enjoyable social activities with other people. Um, that's sort of our um, small scale version of behavioral activation, which some of your listeners may be familiar with. Um, and then in the third condition, we had people do um, a traditional thought record, which is drawn from cognitive therapy. And uh, that is essentially capturing these sort of recurring negative thoughts that are contributing to depression and anxiety and, and reframing them to be more realistic or balanced. And so uh, that's what we were comparing acts of kindness to. Uh, we wanted to have some rigorous comparison conditions. And ultimately what we found was that acts of kindness actually led to greater improvements in social connection than these other two conditions. And acts of kindness also led to greater improvements in depression and anxiety symptoms and life satisfaction than our cognitive therapy condition with the thought records. So can I just, so just to clarify, is sure. you, you looked at presumably different groups doing different activities. Were some of these people doing the acts of kindness alone and some of them doing it alongside having talking therapy as well? 
That's a good question. Uh, so yes, we did not have any um, exclusion criteria for people who are already participating in psychotherapy. So uh, they were welcome to, to do this as, a, as an adjunct to one-on-one -on -one therapy. I will say what we did in our results is we, um, we accounted for the fact that some people were um, already participating in, in therapy and we found that that didn't influence uh, our results one way or the other. So okay, uh, that's we, interesting. Yeah, we controlled for it. If, if some of your listeners are familiar with statistics, we, we controlled for that variable. Yeah. So, so actually if, if you're having therapy, doing this isn't going to harm. It's actually going to help probably, but it's, it's not guaranteed that you have to do both. You can just do the acts of kindness, even if you're not having therapy and, and, and that's going to be beneficial. Yes, actually, the, the majority of participants in our study were not already seeing a mental health professional. And so it was like, I forget the exact number. It was something like maybe 15% of people who were already seeing a therapist uh, in our study, but the vast majority were not. And I think that's actually one of the advantages of acts of kindness is it's such a small uh, and sustainable action that you, you don't necessarily need to go through a mental health professional to, to benefit from it. Excellent. So what, what kind of random acts of kindness did, did your, your study look at? What kind of activities did the people that you were working with undertake? Yeah, so we we kept the criteria pretty broad about what people could do. We wanted people to really have the freedom to choose uh, their acts of kindness. And essentially, we told them that acts of kindness are these actions that benefit others or make others happy. And that typically come at some cost to yourself in terms of time or other resources. But beyond that, people are free to choose whatever they like, as long as it didn't put themselves in danger or, uh, you know, we put a few parameters on it. Don't put yourself in danger. Don't spend so much time on these actions that you burn yourself out and can't do your job. Um, don't, don't recklessly spend money. Don't spend more than you're able to on gifts and things like that. And so few parameters in place, but uh, for the most part, people did really small actions like holding a door open for someone, baking cookies for a friend or colleague, texting a word of encouragement to someone going through a hard time, giving someone a ride to the airport or to work. Uh, so really just these little things that naturally come up in the course of our daily routine. Uh, people were free to do more grand uh, gestures of kindness if they chose to, but from what we saw in the data, most people chose just these, these small sustainable actions. And, and how long did they do this for? How long was the study? You know, what sort of period of time? People were assigned to do these acts of kindness for a total of five weeks. So for each one of those weeks, they were asked to do acts of kindness on two days out of the week with three acts of kindness on each of those days. So essentially six acts of kindness per week. Uh, and that, that was based on some previous research from Sonia Lubomirsky, I believe her, her research team, finding that uh, acts of kindness are more impactful if they're spread out throughout the week rather than all bunched together on one day. So when people are kind of doing a little bit throughout the week, um, it seems to have more of an impact. So that's why we asked them to do the two days and then for five total weeks. Okay. And, and ha have you gone back and looked at the, did they sustain that beyond the five weeks? Have they continued to, to apply this sort of approach and, and think into their, daily activities and, 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 and to sustain, is it sustainable or did they just stop after the five weeks? Have you done any follow-up uh, review of that at all? Great question. 
<laughs> yes. So we followed up with all the participants five weeks after the study ended uh, or 10 weeks after they initiated the study, depending on how you want to look at it. And what we were surprised to find is actually that 75% of people in our acts of kindness condition reported continuing to do the acts of kindness. Now, I will say, I don't know if they did it uh, exactly as they originally assigned, you know, with two days a week, three each day, that might be more difficult to sustain for the rest of your life. But they were at least reporting that they were deliberately engaging in these acts of kindness uh, to some degree five weeks after the study ended. That's interesting. And, and, uh, what about just general social activities or hobbies or anything like that? Did they, were they included and looked at in, at all in the study? I, I ask because I I do quite a lot of volunteering, for example. I, I was a volunteer at the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham last year. Mm. Um, I volunteered years ago. I started on my volunteering journey, actually, at the Olympics in London 2012. And then... Oh, very nice. I also do a lot of um, motorsport marshalling, which is voluntary, effectively. I, I, I spend weekends at, at, at motorsport circuits, and, and that's great because I've, I've, I've been qualified now up to up to marshal at uh, Formula One, and I've done um, about eight or nine, marshaled eight or nine Formula One um, events, including in Canada, Australia, and Miami last year. So, you know, it's given me the opportunity to travel the world with my hobby. Is that classed as, as an act of kindness is that volunteering come under that category or is that slightly different david a absolutely it does in fact one of the uh, research findings that inspired this study was some of the previous work done on the mental health benefits of volunteering and volunteerism and so in our study what we had is a uh, different categories of, of examples of acts of kindness that people could do uh, so for example one would be uh, emotional support, calling up a friend, going through a hard time and offering them words of encouragement. But one of the categories was community involvement and volunteering. And so people were absolutely encouraged to do that as acts of kindness in our study. Um, that wasn't a requirement, but that would definitely fit into um, yeah. what we're aiming for. In terms of the hobbies, that might fall more into the second group that we uh, assigned people to, which was the social activities, uh, which okay. don't necessarily have that pro-social behavior emphasis to it. Right, and 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 when you looked at the results and 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 the outcomes from that, was there any significant differentiation between the two the, the various groups, or did, did, did the social activities, the the hobby, in uh, prove as valuable as the other random acts of kindness, or was there was there some difference between them? Yeah, great question. So uh, essentially, the reason we included that social activities condition is because we really wanted to isolate the effects of pro-social behavior um, in the acts of kindness condition. Uh, in other words, someone might be able to look at our study and say, well, the only reason acts of kindness is beneficial is because you're doing things with other people. It's not really about the kindness piece. It's just being with others. And so we wanted the social activities group to be sort of a nice control to say, mm -hmm. this is doing, kindness is doing something above and beyond just spending time with other people. And so what we found was that acts of kindness condition did in fact lead to a greater degree of social connection than just uh, doing enjoyable social activities with others. Now, that was the only difference we found between the two. The social activities condition did still reduce depression, anxiety, and stress symptoms and lead to improvements in life satisfaction. So certainly 
there was evidence that that alone is is very beneficial as well. It's just that acts of kindness seem to do a little bit more than just uh, socializing with others. Yeah. I, of course, we know social connection is, is is extremely valuable and important in life anyway, isn't it? I mean, we, we've we all come out over the last three years, we've lived through this whole pandemic of, of COVID that we, we all experienced and, 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 and impacted us all globally. And you know, one of the reasons people were worrying and we saw significant rises in, in people's mental health deteriorating was partly down to the lack of social connection, wasn't it? Because of lockdowns and isolation, all working and living from home and not having any day-to-day normal contact that we've taken for granted. So I think that, again, reinforces, doesn't it, that that importance of social connection? Absolutely. So even before the pandemic, what we what we saw from the research is that rates of loneliness were on the rise, especially amongst our young people or our adolescents. And that, that was correlated with uh, rising rates of anxiety and depression symptoms. Uh, I know there was an influential work called Lost Connections, I believe, by Yohan Hari, who uh, details some of these, these patterns, this rise in loneliness. And we know that loneliness is one of the most uh, hazardous uh, factors for your mental health. Uh, you know, they've done studies showing that loneliness can be as hard on your health as uh, smoking or, uh, or obesity or some of these other health hazards. And so particularly as we went into the pandemic, loneliness became all that much more prominent in our society. And so I think finding ways to connect with people socially was uh, is of vital importance. And funny enough, this study was actually conducted a little bit before p- the pandemic and then made the last quarter of it was actually done during the pandemic. And so ah. I'd say the study took on even more importance, which was not obviously planned by us, but uh, <laughs> it ended course, up being more yeah. important than we realized. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and just out of interest, do you see any significant change in what was happening in that period? Uh, so we actually did not. We, we um, included a variable in our study to capture whether or not some of our participants participated during the pandemic. Um, only about a quarter of, of our sample participated uh, during the pandemic. And only, even then, only uh, during the last uh, leg of the study. So it was kind of a small sample, but we did not find that the pandemic uh, significantly influenced our results, uh, which was kind of nice to see. Great. And uh, I'm curious, though, is there any particular any any, any advice from from from? I mean, one of the things we we really love doing at Anxiety UK is is getting beneath some of this research that we see being published globally all the time and, and 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 very very often really valuable academic papers such as your own are are, are not always brought to the sort of real world application and um and, and and you know followed through into how can this you know this research be used to improve the quality of life and the lived experience of those with with anxiety stress anxiety based depression and and hence why we're having this conversation we we feel really strongly at Anxiety UK that this kind of research should be shared and and you know, with people who who can benefit from from its learning rather than just sit on a on a shelf in a in a university somewhere. Right. <laughs> um, you know, it's fantastic that you know, it helps you or you or, or, or everyone who wants to get their, their 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 doctorates and everything done. It's fantastic for that, but it's great to see it come to life as well. So, any any what practical benefits and what practical advice would you give anybody listening today what what kind of things could they do what would you encourage them to you know to take away from 
from your learning, from your research that they could apply to their own daily lives. Yeah, and, and let me just say, first of all, that we really appreciate you disseminating these findings because, as you said, it's it's easy for this work to just kind of be stuffed in the ivory tower and, and never uh, make it to the public. But uh, to answer your question, um, I think there's maybe two two points that are coming to mind to me that are that are really important to communicate to your audience. The, the first item is that in our study, it was largely self-driven. In other words, uh, people came into our lab, they received instructions for what to do, and then we essentially let them uh, turn them loose to do these activities on their own uh, without the direct guidance of a therapist. So I think that's a double-edged sword in some ways. On the one hand, it shows that you can benefit from these activities in our study uh, if you don't have access to a therapist, uh, if there's a long wait list, um, don't have time, et cetera, you can do these things on your own and experience a lot of benefit. Yeah. The The other side of that, though, is just that um, I want your readers to be aware that in our study, um, it was not the same thing as going through a, a course of cognitive behavioral therapy with a trained psychologist, for example. And so we're not saying that acts of kindness is better than live therapy with someone and that, you know, I would expect that live therapy with an actual psychologist would probably still be more impactful than our kind of self-driven activities. So that's still important. Um, The other, uh, the other item that I think is important to communicate is in our acts of kindness condition. Interestingly, we actually did not communicate to participants that they were going to be doing this in order to feel happy or to relieve their symptoms. Uh, That was very intentional on our part because part of what we were hoping to accomplish is essentially getting people to focus less on their mental health symptoms and focus more on uh, essentially getting absorbed in uh, serving other people. And interestingly, what we found in our study is that part of the reason acts of kindness seems to work is that it really reduces that uh, tendency to kind of focus on one's own uh, suffering or mental health symptoms. And that kind of reduction in self-focused attention seemed to drive these improvements in uh, in well-being that we saw. So uh, in, in layman's terms, what, what I'm saying is that uh, when you're doing these acts of kindness, don't, necess- don't do it necessarily just because it's going to make you feel better but do something that you just really value for its own sake, uh, something you're passionate about, uh, and you will find that that the happiness and the well-being might come as a nice side effect, uh, essentially. Great, that's interesting. That was a really great point you made there about you know this not replacing talking therapy, your traditional sure. CBT, uh, with a, with a with a professional practitioner. But as as you say, if you know, in some cases, you know. It, People might not need to have therapy. They might not need to have medication. Right. They might find some self-managing, some self-help tools are sufficient to help them manage their anxiety and stress if it's if it's fairly low level. Whereas others, and that goes back to my earlier question, could you do this if you are having therapy? Yes, you could. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no reason why you wouldn't. And it may well help alongside it. Yes, it's not. It's a great point you say about it. it's not there to replace it either. So, yeah, really important to remember. But yes, yeah, so for anybody listening, you know, if you are having therapy but you want to introduce some acts of kindness to to, to your to your routine, it's not gonna it's not gonna harm you. It's, it's, it can no. only can only be beneficial in the long run, and that's great. Um, 
Fantastic. David, I, I, I think this has been fascinating to, to, to hear about and learn about. And Is there anything I've not asked about that you, you're obviously a lot closer to your research than, than we are? I know we've had a chat in, in, in advance of today, but um, is there anything I haven't asked you that you think that our, our listeners would really value knowing about? I think we've mostly covered the the, the major bases. Again, I would just say that in our study, the, the thought records, the social activities, and the acts of kindness, all three of them showed significant improvements in, in these well-being measures over time. And, and we were excited to see that because it shows that there's a variety of things you can do that can improve your well-being. Um, none of these are bad options, uh, but um, there seems to be something about doing acts of kindness that that is kind of yeah. kind of special, you know, uh, and uh, promotes social connections in a way that maybe some of these other things do not. Um, and I guess the last thing I would say, uh, especially this, this being Anxiety UK, you know, as I mentioned, part of the reason acts of kindness seems to work is it uh, specifically reduces this uh, tendency to focus on others' perceptions of yourself. Um, in other words, that, that kind of social anxiety. And um, I think when you're just in a crowd of people, it can get re- be really easy to get caught up on thinking about what others think of you, whether you're saying the right thing. But when you're doing an act of kindness, it sort of gives you something to focus on and and um, that deliberate intention of of benefiting the other person, I think maybe takes away some of that preoccupation with how am I being perceived? Yeah, no, that's a really valuable point, David. Thank you. I think, you know, it, it is about, isn't it, focusing on something else. It's also almost like a, it's a mindful activity in itself. Right. right? You're, Absolutely. Not, you're not just sitting there sort of ruminating over and worrying about the things that we worry and you know, get anxious around. It's, Absolutely. It's about taking that focus of attention somewhere else and I, and I know I mean you, you'll be aware I'm sure and we maybe mentioned it before that you know our, one of our our levels of membership of Anxiety UK is called the Be Kind membership Be Kind to Yourself oh excellent I didn't we, know that that's we, great yeah it's we introduced a, a, a level of membership uh, it's a reduced level of membership discounted uh, for people who would uh, struggling financially because we we do we do have a, a, a membership fee, but we reduced it um, for people living on benefits or, or, or whatever who who are struggling to to pay the full membership um, cost. And we've extended that for another year because of this current cost of living crisis. We know sure. people need that help and support. And um, uh, but um, yeah, so we we do have a membership that's called Be Kind, and we also have compassion focused therapies. One of our choices, oh, excellent. Yes. talking therapy modalities. So. Again, we 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 recognise and understand the value of being kind to yourself, which is exactly what compassion focused therapy is all around, and you know, being self soothing and and not being too harsh on yourself, not being too self critical or or feeling too ashamed of things. And and I think doing something positive to help somebody else gives you that feel good factor, doesn't it? And that's exactly what yes. this is all around when you you cut to the chase, isn't it? So that's really good and. Um, I guess the, the other thing to say is not to put too much pressure on yourself, though, either. We're well, becoming anxious, yes. about not, not fulfilling our acts of kindness plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's that's kind of what I was getting. I was saying, you know, uh, we didn't tell people that they're doing this to feel any type of way or to to feel better. It just so happened that that is the side effect when you're focusing on helping other people, and um, and I think you start to see, wow, I can make a difference in someone else's life. And some of those thoughts of not being worthy or not being a, an effective person kind of just fall into the background when you see that you're helping someone else. Exactly, exactly. And and, 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 and again, it's about being kind to yourself first and foremost. Yes. 
Yes. By doing this, you are being kind to yourself. Yes, yeah, it's, it's for yourself and the, and the other person. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mentioned a couple of things there that we we have in in, in, in our sort of mix of, of, of services that we can we can help people with. I mean, anybody who's listening who is thinking of and, and wondering what else they can do and do get in touch with us. We we've got a couple of opportunities where you can give something back if if you're looking to to, to the charity. So we have a um, we have a participation group which is about six or seven hundred people strong at the moment, and this is people who who want to support the charity and help the charity in some way or another. Um, they might not be members. They might be members. And this was um, this was established during the pandemic. It was a way of people could help who, or prior to the pandemic, in fact, who when we our volunteers who help us on our helpline used to have to go into the office in Manchester to, to do mm. that work. So if we had somebody contact us from London or Edinburgh or or wherever who weren't able to get to the office in Manchester on an afternoon or a morning to, to do a shift on the helpline, they could get involved remotely um, and doing things, doing tasks that, things that help us. So we, we've got a team of our participation group members at the moment reviewing Anxious Times, our, our quarterly magazine, seeing what improvements we could make to that from a user experience point of view. And they do book reviews or they might write, might write blogs for us or about certain topics or they'll do something to help the charity in some way, shape or form. We might have specialists in there who have uh, knowledge of uh, Google Analytics. It's another task that we'd be doing. And they, oh, yeah. they, they help us do you know, manage our Google Analytics. So they're volunteering and, and supporting the charity in that way. And then, of course, there is our helpline. And we have um, about three people each morning and afternoon on the helpline, taking calls all over the country, giving people advice and guidance. Uh, and there's a pool of about 50 people who are helpline wow. volunteers. Um, and then, of course, we've done our online groups and courses throughout the pandemic. So we've got um, peer support groups that run twice a week who are facilitated, again, by volunteers. So, you know, if you're listening to this and you're wondering what you could do, what random or, or, or less random act of kindness that you might want to fit into your into your program, there are opportunities with the charity itself, with Anxiety UK, that we'd love to hear from you. And if you if you go to the Get Involved section of our website, you'll be able to find details there about how you can volunteer or, or get involved in the participation group. Um, and we'll also be uh, we'll be we'll be looking to, to spread this message through Anxious Times ourselves. I think we've we're gonna go in an interview with David in there as well, aren't we, David? Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll maybe look to put some more examples in there of the kind of things people might want to consider if they're, they're wondering what they can do. Or just get involved in your local community, see what's happening in your in your own doorstep. And, um, especially at the moment, I think with the all these pressures that people are facing, the, the cost of living, the rises in energy prices, the rise in, the rises in, 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 in food prices and, and, and all that, food banks all over the country are looking for help and support. Maybe you know there's 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 so many different things you can you can get involved in at the moment where you generally really will be helping give something back to people in your your own local community. So some great opportunities there, I'm sure, and and great to hear all about it, David. It's been absolutely fantastic talking to you again today. Thank you for for getting up so early and giving us your time, and um, we'll uh, we hope to stay in touch with you and 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 hear more about your work in in, in the years to come. 
Absolutely. It is a real pleasure for me as well. Uh, thank you so much for letting me be a part of Anxiety UK. And I wish you all the best. I really, really believe in your mission and what you're doing. And uh, hello again to my old friends in the UK. <laughs>